Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, but I want to start with a story that we've been reporting on this morning, and this is an investigation has been launched after uh, Cork city centre retail units were targeted by arson attacks yesterday. Now, staff have been praised for their efforts in evacuating shoppers from the busy stores. And to tell us more, I'm joined by Victor Shine of the Cork City Fire Brigade. Uh, good morning to you, Victor. Good morning. I'm, I'm uh, OK, your phone is just... Keep your phone now, nice there and you steady. Go. Is that any Absolutely perfect, Victor. You're welcome to the That's programme. Fantastic. Now, I believe it was much. five separate fires in uh, total. When when did you start to get calls? Approximately uh, 13 minutes past five, we got the first call to Lifestyle Sports, then followed on by Super Dry, Next, uh, Boots, and then TK Maxx, all within a 30-minute period. Of, of the first call. So do you believe all five fires were linked? It appears that there are some connection with, with, all, with all five. That's correct. So how much, tell me what happened when you arrived. Um, uh, to compliment now the staff and some members of the public uh, that the fires were being brought under control by staff members and, and some members of the public. Uh, evacuation processes were in place with some of the stores as well uh, for uh, safety measures. All fires were brought under control very quickly with um, not a huge amount of uh, fire damage, but smoke damage to the stock of these premises uh, is significant in excess of €100,000 in one or two of the shops. So it's a significant uh, incident uh, for this, for the stores themselves. So, yes, and anyone who's ever had any kind of a, a fire will know what smoke damage can and, and does do, Victor. That's correct. You know, uh, the fire itself were in, in all the shops were, was small. Um, it, it could have or it had the potential of getting out of control if it wasn't spotted and dealt with at the early stages or early development of the fire itself. But um, they were extinguished and then the uh, fire service had to ventilate the buildings using a positive pressure ventilation fans, uh, clear the smoke, check the rest of the premises with thermal imaging cameras and uh, deem the premises then to be safe. But um, it was a tense uh, 30 minutes for all um, shops in the city. Additional security measures, a heightened security level was was around the city as well with this um, incident going on. 
Yeah, because obviously when this happens then there's a fear factor. Is it going to spread? Is there somebody going around, you know, set, doing these arson attacks and, you know, where where will it be next? And in you had five units had to had to go out from the Cork City Fire Brigade. That's right. We, we initially started off with the first premises and that will be a normal event. And then uh, the call started rolling in for the other premises as well, which, again, is exceptionally unusual. Um, and as well as those calls, then we're getting other incidents coming in from around the city as well with flooding and road traffic collisions and so on. So it is putting the services under um, additional strain as well, you know, but we have the, the resources to deal with all these situations. And um, so the situations were dealt with very effectively. Well and done. in fairness to the shop, again, you have to compliment the staff. Yeah, I mentioned earlier when I was teeing up that you were coming on to the programme, like we all go through these regular fire drills at work. And, you know, a lot of the times people are saying, God, these are so inconvenient. Why do we have to do this again? But it's only when incidents like this happen that you realise why those fire drills are so important, Victor. It's important, it's muscle memory. Um, so when the the real event occurs, it has to be a seamless and flawless uh, event then. Um, one of the stores, there was a, had to be an evacuation from a, what we refer to as a refuge point where it's a safe area for somebody with a disability because elevators you can't use and that person had to be brought downstairs. So that's um, an additional challenge then and you have the risk to that person, you have the risk to the staff assisting and so on in the evacuation. So it's, it's it's not an acceptable uh, situation no. if it's an accidental fire, but with with something being done with malice, it's it's not a it's not a good thing. Yeah, totally totally unacceptable. But thankfully, absolutely no injuries to report. No injuries whatsoever. Gardaí are doing um, a follow up on uh, catching person or persons uh, that caused this uh, situation, and. Um, I hope that person is caught or persons are caught uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, so say all of us. Listen, Victor, thank you for that. I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us this morning. You're welcome. Thank Good you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Victor Shine there from the Cork City Fire Brigade. And, you know, a pretty frightening situation as well to be in the middle of a, a shop, you know, going about doing your bits and bobs and, and suddenly you start smelling smoke and somebody shouting fire and everybody trying to get out of the building as quickly as possible. And then to discover that there's five uh, going on in five separate retail uh, stores. Gardaí, um, as Victor said, are continuing with their investigations this morning. 0818. 103103 103. cause for celebration and I love the way the Echo put it today with a rebel treble and they have three outstanding Cork sports people sports men on the front of the Echo today there is a picture of Cork hurler Jack O'Connor that was him after scoring the goal against uh, Waterford and of course the the Liverpool goalkeeper Cuevin Kelleher one of our own from Cork uh, celebrating their win over Chelsea in Wembley he had an absolutely outstanding game and then the third making up the rebel treble is a great photograph of Brian Hurley kicking it free and of course that was in Cork's league win over Fermanagh great great photographs indeed and and well done great reason for us to celebrate here in Cork from a sporting uh, point of view and also this was something actually that we raised on the programme last week when we were talking 
yet again about the devastation that happened in the floods in October with Storm Babette and particularly the effects on the uh, East Cork area and we were highlighting it last week uh, because the council need additional funds just to uh, do repair work to the damage that was caused both to roads and to uh, bridges but it became very obvious last week that there wasn't enough money had been allocated from central government so it's good to read this morning that more money is to be provided to Cork County Council specifically for the roads that were damaged during Storm Babette and this is according to Leo Varadkar. Uh, he made his comments in the Dáil. This was after the Cork East Fine Gael Dáil Deputy David Stanton raised concerns about the level of road grants which had been announced last week by the Department of Transport for County Cork last week. East Cork we know bore the brunt of the infrastructural damage during Storm Babette last October. Middleton we know was absolutely devastated but dozens of roads in the wider area were also damaged and some actually were completely destroyed. Cork County Council at the time had to do emergency repairs and they needed to do it at the time in order to reopen the key roads but um, some are still in absolutely shocking condition. I didn't realise this but it seems some of them are rem- remain impassable from the effects of Storm Babette last October. And the council reckon that the full costs of just road repairs just from this one storm event, they reckon it's in and around the 50 million euro mark. So they were waiting for the... Uh, Department of Transport to announce the allocations last week but when the announcements was, were made under severe weather grant Cork County Council were only being allocated 13 million now there was an 83 million allocation for the council for maintenance and, and improvements of regional and local roads but specifically under the headline of severe weather grant which obviously is what Storm Babette was there was only 13 million euro allocated Valerie O'Sullivan is the council's chief executive you know while obviously welcome I mean, the overall allocation, they were bitterly disappointed that the amount for the storm damage was no way near being uh, enough. You know, 13 million when you need 50 million is way off the mark. So Deputy David Stanton raised the funding issue and he raised it directly with the Taoiseach in the Dáil. And he said while Leo Varadkar had come to Middleton in the wake of the massive flood and the government support for East Cork afterwards, he said, was welcome. The Taoiseach, he said, and the other ministers didn't see the full extent of the devastation caused to roads across the region and that's a good point you know they're they're the day after when all the clear up is going on but they don't see the full impact of the damage that was done so Leo Varadkar said the general principle which was applied in other places and he cited County Donegal as an example, was that once the department had assessed the damage and the work that needs to be done, there then follows a special allocation and that's made above and beyond the regular road grants. And it was the regular road grants that we heard about last week. So Leo Varadkar said he's going to discuss the issue with the Public Expenditure Minister Pascal Donoghue. He holds the purse string strings, uh, but he says funds will be there for those damaged roads. And that certainly is welcomed news on a Monday morning for people in East Cork. Last week we had five very happy campers uh, across uh, Cork City and County because we gave away two and a half thousand euro of free money with our Snap the App and we have more money to give away this week. Same as we did last week you need to download the C103 app if you haven't already done it and then we'll be asking you to snap a screenshot of the C103 app at some stage in the programme today. 
I'll open the WhatsApp. You do it only by WhatsApp, please, because we need to see the screenshot of the app sent into us uh, here at 0862 103 103. We'll select a qualifier from this programme who will go forward to a draw with Martina in the afternoon. And one lucky listener every day this week will get a call back from Martina and that person will win €500 worth of free money. Make sure you have downloaded the C103 app and stay tuned for your chance to win here on C103 right across this week. 0818 103 103. I know farmers are protesting and we are going to be catching up with them after 11 this morning to see how their protest outside County Hall has gone. But here's an example of cost of doing business for farmers. Tom has been on to us. He's a farmer in the Mallow uh, area and he contacted his local local waste collection company because he had plastic that needed to be taken away from the farm. Now he said this time last year he'd made a similar call and the local waste collection company came out and collected it and he said and it's weighed and then he pays per weight of the amount of plastic uh, that he sends for recycling. He said this time last year it was €120 per tonne to take away the waste plastic. He said that has now gone up to €200 per tonne. But Tom's big beef with all of this is that farmers already pay a levy. When they go to the local co-op shop, they pay a levy towards the cost of the plastic. So he says, you know, why are they paying a levy? And then to hear the prices have gone up from €120 to €200, that's, you know, nearly a 100% increase. That's a big, big uh, jump. And by the way, Tom says before people jump in and say, why doesn't Tom go about recycling it himself? The type of farm plastic can't go to a recycling centre. They have no other choice but to ring a waste collection company who then come, take the plastic, but the farmer has to pay. Cost of doing business again for uh, farmers uh, is crazy. Now, Comreg's target for next day delivery by on post is set at 94%. That's for standard letters. And the last report that I could find online over the weekend was from 2022, where on post delivered 84% of single mail items by the next working day. Now, that was 10% short of the target set by Comrag. But in fairness to them, they explained it by saying they were impacted by the pandemic at the time. So, to try to discover what is going on with postal deliveries in the Glengariff area, I'm joined by West Cork Fine Gael Councillor Caroline Cronin. Good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Caroline, I, I'm very well, thank you. I take it people in Glengariff would be happy if 84% of their post arrived by the next day. But I believe they didn't have post for a week. Absolutely, yep. So on Thursday last, um, it came to my attention that the people of Glengariff and the surrounding area didn't receive any post all week. Um, now, we're all you know, aware of the importance of our daily postal service and we're so thankful to the postmen and postwomen that... Um, you know, provide such a brilliant service for the best part, you know. Um, so for anyone that was waiting for important correspondence packages and um, I suppose especially medical appointments, they were very disappointed to get nothing all week. Um, so I believe that this is an issue that has come from the changes that were made last September when the sorting office in Glengariff was relocated to a new sorting unit in Bantry. So this um, relocation has led to a lot of changes for the postal workers. You know, their daily routes have changed and also the times that the post has been delivered to homes and businesses has changed as well. So the um, the postal workers are under serious stress and, and pressure, I suppose. They, they went from um, starting work previously in Glengariff at 9 a.m finishing at um, five and they're now starting at 7am and finishing at three. 
But yeah, and, and and as you say, when 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 on Post announced what they were doing last September, they said, you know, they're moving to this uh, purpose fitted new premises in Bantry. And they said at the time it was a major investment in infrastructure and they said it would enhance facilities for customers and that local customers would get the same level of services. From what you're hearing, that's not happening. No, it's not. No, our postal um, workers are really under stress. Like I said, starting at 7am, they've gone from, uh, there was two postal workers covering this huge area um, and now it's down to one um, one guy and he is covering 85% of what previously two two men would have done. That's like three quarters of the parish, you could say, really, covered by one guy starting at 7am, should be finished at three, but he's not. He's actually working 10, 11 hours some days and obviously longer um, on peak times, you know, at Christmas and stuff. You know, the, the average miles that they're doing is about 160 kilometres um, per day. That's including travelling into the to the new unit in Bantry and back out to Glengariff. In to get, yeah, in to get the post and then have, having to come back. And I know uh, on post also the year before, you know, in 2020, yeah, the year before in 2022, they moved the sorting office to a new regional um, uh, centre in um, Ballytahopskull and Goline all went to Skibbereen. So it's a That's kind right. of, it's a kind of a, it's a concerted effort to have these new purpose-built new premises and make all of the postmen and women travel further. But you straight away are thinking, where's the green agenda in all of this? All of those postmen and women are driving extra long distances to go and get the post, to go back out again to deliver it. Exactly correct. And now they do get overtime, but like it's really no value of them because to them because it goes back in tax, you know, and there's there's very little work life balance because they're starting work in the dark and they're finishing work in the dark for most of the of the year really, you know. And the knock on effect is, is crazy. Like this I heard a story this past week that um there was one elderly woman whose bank card had expired. So she went to the bank, they told her her new bank card was in the post. Mm. Obviously it's in the post for days and she actually had to go to her local super value and ask for credit so she could do her shopping. Oh I mean, bless her heart. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So it's just these you know, and I'm sure there's people waiting for doctor's appointments. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I know, I know, we don't get, you know, for many of us, we don't get a lot of posts. A, a lot of things are still done online, but there are a certain amount of things that are. I mean, the bank card is a really, really good example. They physically have to get the the card to you, and you are right. A, um, a lot of medical appointments, it's still done by post. Yeah, exactly. And even packages that might arrive, a lot of the time you only have a seven day return policy. On yeah. Things, you know, huge. Yeah, you're right on that. And I know on post, say, one of the reasons that, you know, the changes reflect the, the changing need of customers. But they but they say that there are more parcels and less letters. But there, yeah. there's still a lot that has to be delivered. And you would like to think delivered every day. Yeah, exactly. Now, I did speak to someone in Antost on Friday and they have assured me that the postal service is back up and running again in the Glengariff area. But I'm sure there's going to be a backlog for the next, you know, week to 10 days to get on top of all these uh, letters and parcels out again. And did they give you an explanation as to why Glengariff suddenly had no post for a week? They didn't really, but I do believe that um, somebody was totally within his right to have his week off that was booked off previously. And I think they just didn't have the cover. So really, that is the huge issue that the cover isn't, um, you know, the cover's just not there. Yeah. And and I'm I'm thinking, what if somebody goes out sick? Exactly. Yeah. So they need to have, you know, all these routes. They need something. They need more staff, basically. 
And are they are they saying they're understaffed? Is there any talk of recruitment to get more staff in? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but um, they, you know, I'm hoping that they will reassess the situation and hopefully take on more staff. Yeah, because it's it's not good enough to expect people to wait to go set, no. you know, to work five, I'm assuming when you say a week, it would be five days of uh, a post, especially, I mean, Comreg surely mm-hmm. has a role to play here because, you know, when I was looking this up over the weekend, you know, they set this target of 94% um, for yeah. standard letters and that's for next day delivery. They, they say nothing about, well, you're going to have to wait for a week. Yes, exactly. I, I'm not sure about, um, you know, the policy with, with the Comreg and stuff. But I mean, it, all I do know is that we definitely need more um, staff. Yeah, more postmen and women. Somebody is saying, um, somebody from the Glengariff area said, I'm waiting for my motor tax cert. It's stuck in that backlog with the Glengariff post. There's another one and insurance certs are sent out in the post. And there's somebody, if the tax, you know, runs out at the this week and they don't have their tax, they could be stopped by the guards. Yeah, absolutely. And how, you know, oh, explaining that the postman wasn't, you know, it, yeah, it's it's just not good enough, really, is it? Yeah, well, it almost sounds like the, the dog at my homework. It's, it's the, the guard that you're <laughs> going to almost be saying. All right. OK, listen, Caroline, thank you for that. And okay. uh, thanks um, for joining us. And we've also contacted uh, on post just uh, particularly to see will they give us an explanation as to why uh, the good people at Gangarif were without post. And I think uh, for a week, and I think Caroline is right, there will be a backlog, obviously, because now the postmen and women have to do all of the work that they're normally doing and try to sort the backlog that was left from that week where no post was uh, delivered. And as I say, all of this was done. These new centres of excellence uh, were built on post you know, saw it as major investment in in infrastructure and they promised at the time it would enhance facilities for customers and the local customers would get um would get the same local services. Well they're they're certainly not in the Glengariff area last week. They can't it can't be said to them that they are getting the same level of services. So eight one eight uh one oh three one oh three I mentioned farmers and we are going to be talking after eleven trying to catch up with some of the farmers that are protesting outside uh, County Hall this morning. Uh, Ted said, as farmers, we have to play our role in combating climate change and the biodiversity decline. Reducing stocking rates is a no-brainer. In particular, we're changing weather patterns like summer droughts and longer, wetter winters. I think as an IFA member, we should be moving payments to farmers who farm sustainably. Uh, extentification is the way forward according to Ted better for man and beast the present model is broken and farmers are tired and they're burnt out from all this production which is only making big agri-businesses millions and billions says uh, Ted thank you for that Ted and I know one of the reasons the farmers are they are just so uh, frustrated with everything that is going on and the amount of red tape that's involved, particularly with all of the different directives that are coming from the EU. And just on the whole farming issue, at the weekend, I kind of went down to, um, you know, when you start uh, watching a programme, uh, like a series-linked programme, be it on TV or on Netflix or on Prime or on Disney Plus or, or whatever, I realised that I hadn't watched the second series of The Farm uh, by... Um, uh, Jeremy, 
oh, what's his name, the guy from, from Top Gear. Uh, so I'd watched the first one and I really, really enjoyed it. So I sat and said, oh, I might catch up on that because a lot of the episodes are quite short. So I caught up with it over the weekend. And I remember coming away from the first episode and uh, thinking, God, isn't farming life really tough? And that was the one brilliant thing, I think, about uh, series one. And when I watched series two, I have to say, I said the very same thing. Uh, farming and and trying to make money out of farming and how dependent they are on weather and the amount of red tape that's involved. It really, you kind of, you'd look at those, I think what, what he has done for farming, whether, and I know a lot of people don't like him as a character, but certainly what he's done, I think, to promote farming and the tough life that farmers have. It is definitely well worth uh, the watch. Jeremy Clarkson, I couldn't remember his, his surname for a second. And it's up, actually, Series 1 and Series 2 is on Amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime, is well worth watching. I know there's a third series that's already been recorded that is due to come out uh, later on this year. But certainly, having watched that programme, you couldn't help but have sympathy for farmers. It is, it's a tough, tough industry to be in. Hundreds of thousands of Irish people worked in the UK for a period of time over the last number of decades. And if you were one of those workers who crossed the Irish Sea to find employment, are you aware that you may be eligible for a UK state pension? To chat about a new service launched to help Irish people access their entitlements, I'm joined by John Ring, who is Head of Operations at Extra Pension. Good morning to you, John. Hi there, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Would you agree that some people would find the prospects of trying to apply for a UK pension just too daunting? And is that one of the reasons you've put your service in place? Correct. Pensions are, are, are a horrible topic, quite frankly, for <laughs> most people. Um, and really, uh, you know, people really struggle to get their heads around the whole topic of pensions. It seems like when the word pension is mentioned that people just have brain freeze and they just can't get beyond that word. But um, the opportunity that's, that's, that's available now from revenue in the UK or HMRC, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, as it's called, is, is, is absolutely brilliant. Okay, um, potentially how much could some of these pensions be worth, do you believe? Okay, so if you worked for just one year in the UK at any time, even as far back as the 70s, 80s or 90s, and then left the UK to come back home to Ireland or in fact to go to any other other, um, country, for every one euro that you choose to pay HMRC now, they will give you 40, 40 euros back in a UK state pension over a typical 20 years in retirement. So you pay one and you get 40 back spread over a 20 years retirement, which of course sounds too good to be true, but it's actually very real. Yeah, so it's it's you're paying voluntary contributions to fill the gaps. Is is what you are doing. basically, yeah. Because the because the UK pension system changed in 2016. So HMRC said then that people could go back 10 years to 2006 if they wanted to fill in any gaps that they might might have in their national insurance record or what their file says. Maybe people went travelling or maybe they stayed at home to raise a family. There's lots of reasons why people might not have paid national insurance for some time. So, you know, um, kind of a lot of Irish, of course, would have come back to Ireland and they've been working away here since and they've forgotten about the UK. So filling in these gaps is called paying voluntary national insurance contributions. It's entirely optional and it's a complete financial no-brainer for people outside the UK. So for from two, 2006 up until now, 
is 18 years. So normally you're only able to buy six past years, but right now, because of this opportunity, which is currently available and closing soon, you can buy up to 18 past years all at once, which really is a once in a you know, it's once in a lifetime opportunity, really. Yeah, and there will be some people listening, John, who maybe worked in England for much longer periods, you know, maybe even of course, up to 20 absolutely. years. Yes, no, absolutely. So basically for, you know, um, so the, 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 the current state pension is increasing again. It goes up every year in line with inflation. So from this April, it's worth approximately 400 euros a year. So, for example, if you had one year over in the UK or one, one year of national insurance paid, you would get 400 euros each and every year for the rest of your life. Now, I'm using just rounded numbers here, but yeah. this, is, this is pretty accurate. So, you know, if you had two, two years of national insurance paid, you would get 800 euros each and every year for the rest of your life. And there's no impact on your Irish state pension. So, you know, in your case there, if someone was over there for 20 years, right now, as things stand, they would be entitled to 400 times 20, which is 8,000 euros per year each and every year. Um, in addition to their Irish state pension. And that's what they're entitled to right now, basically. And that's even just before they take advantage of this past opportunity or this past year's opportunity, which they can do in order to get to the maximum um, UK pension, which is worth about €1,100 Euros a month um, from April every year for the rest of your life. Um, and that is that needs 35 years of national insurance contributions. Most people assume that you need um, a certain number of years of work in the UK. One is the minimum here in Europe um, for, you know, for the likes of Australians, it's three years, etc. and so on. But for us here in Europe, it's one year as a minimum, provided that you then worked afterwards here in Ireland and paid your PRSI here. Because yeah, this is which, all around the social insurance, the topic of PRSI or the social insurance. That's the basis of this, really. Which a lot of people did. A lot of people, I mean, I'm thinking of, of, of back in, in the 80s when, you know, there was a real yeah. downturn in the economy here. Uh, people, you know, literally, for, for, for people who went on to third level education, they walked out of college and they went either on the boat yes. or the plane. And many of them would have yeah. gone and they would have worked for, you know, periods of, as, as I said, 20 years, but some of the, you know, five, 10 years. And then they came back yeah. because they always went with the intention of coming back. So it's those people that you really want yeah. to target. Correct. So, so, so the average age of people who inquire with us is 57. Um, and in general, the average amount of time they've spent over in the UK is seven years. Um, and the, you know, in terms of the most common year which people would have come back, it's '98, I think it is. Was it? Um, which that's, is, yeah. yeah. So there you go. So, economy, so just before the boom here. Yeah, our economy was 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 turning um, uh, around, and exactly. it's, it's interesting. It doesn't affect the, your Irish state pension. No. So you can get multiple state pensions across Europe if you're entitled to it, even if you're over in the states. You're entitled to a U.S. state pension and an Irish state pension and a U.K. state pension. We actually have a client in that position, which is uh, mad. But there you go. That's her circumstances. Somebody's asking Brexit. Has that affected people's entitlement? OK, so no, generally speaking. Um, there was basically there was the, this all dates back to, to social insurance harmonization across Europe. So um, Brexit has not had a, um, any major impact Basically, if you left in the 70s, 80s or the 90s, 
there's no impact by Brexit. If you left in the last couple of years, then yes, there is uh, an impact. But generally speaking, for the vast majority of people who will be listening, um, no, there's yeah. zero impact. Yeah. Uh, and somebody's <laughs> asking, uh, what age does the pension kick in? You know, in this country, it's 66. What, what is it in, in the UK? Yeah, so basically it's currently at 66, but it varies between 66 to 68, depending on your date of birth. So for most people, mid 40s to mid 60s, state pension age is is 67. If you're younger than that, um, like in your 30s or your early 40s, your state pension age will be 68. If you're, um, you know, if you're in your late 60s now, then and you're not getting your UK state pension, you would be eligible to get that from the age of 66. So anyone who has worked in the UK for at least one year and has worked back in Ireland since, um, they should get in touch with the International Pension Centre in Newcastle in England. And I have their number there as well, if you wanted me to give it out at the end of that. Okay. Um, get in touch with them. Um, Bear in mind that you're likely to spend at least an hour waiting to get through and you might need to do that a few times because they're swamped. <laughs> because so many Irish people uh, went over there uh, to work. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm really not that surprised uh, to hear this. OK, yep. what, what information does a person need to have? I mean, I, I'm thinking straight away, do they need their national insurance number? Um, basically, you massively increase your chances of getting approved for this. Sorry, actually, I, um, I should should say that you cannot just pay HMRC by sending them a check or a bank draft there this afternoon. So you, so you need to ask them for permission to pay them. And that means that you need to apply to them in order for them to say, yes, you can pay us at the cheap rate, which is typically 200 euros per year for people here in Ireland who are working since, basically. So assuming they come back um, and they say say that, then you're able to pay them. But they need to be able to find you on the system, yeah. um, which which they have, basically. So if you have your national insurance number, your, your old one from decades ago, as it were, um, you massively increase your chances of them being able to say, yes, you can pay us. Um, now, we have videos on our website which explain to people how to go about finding your national insurance number either by post or online. You're not able to call them up and get it over the phone, so I wouldn't be trying that. Um, but um, that's unless that, that, that you have access to the old address in the UK, which they would have on file for you. So we have videos on the website there which explain quite simply in terms of how to in terms of how to get your national insurance number, basically. So um, in terms of the other information um, which is needed, you really need to, to, to it's basically your CV, effectively, is what they're looking for. Um, they want to know where you worked in the UK, where and when have you worked in the UK, um, and since you left the UK, where and when have you worked? And you, and you need to be able to prove that. So we help pe- people to very easily prove where they've worked in certain places um, and that is, and and that's 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 pretty much it then, okay. you know, effectively. Okay, and it, it's not means tested because this is based on your contributions no. already, or as you say, what you're going to top it up by. Correct, correct. So, um, so again, um, assuming that you've worked since you left the UK for a period of years, and again, that varies depending on the circumstances. But in general, you can get a UK pension worth approximately 400 euros each and every year with as little as one year in the UK. Okay. All right. That's some good news for people. And I know there's a payment deadline of April of next year. Uh, There is. And if I can just say on that, sorry, uh, just interrupt there. I mean, if I can just say on that, that's the payment deadline, but don't confuse that with the application 
deadline, um, which which most people generally do, thinking that they've tons of time kind of on this. There's queues of up to 10 months to get the answer back from revenue in the UK. So they could easily pull the plug on new applications. But if you're already in the queue, then it's fine. But then you will have up until April of 25 to, to pay it. And bear in mind as well that the Chancellor, he stood up in the House of Commons and he said this cheap rate of 200 euros per year, which we get here in Ireland, and which is a fifth actually of what people in the UK have to pay for the same thing. But this cheap rate um, is going for the self-employed in the UK. So there's implications to that for us um, over the next 12 months or so, he has said. Okay. Um, and that was only said in November. So we don't really know what's coming. So if you're interested in this, you know, get moving. Skates on. We we know how politicians can change their mind, John. And you've got <laughs> exactly, a great exactly. you've got a great website, uh, extrapension.com. And that number in Newcastle that you wanted to give people. Um, the the number in Newcastle for the International Pension Centre is zero zero four four one nine one two one eight seven 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 seven. And also, um, if I could just give give you the WhatsApp the number for us there, okay. it's zero eight nine nine. Seven nine nine seven six six. And last point, if, if I may as well, um, we have a free kind of am I eligible tool on the website, which will give people a personalized estimate of how much that they can get. So it takes a minute or two. Basic information is asked and you'll get an email in terms of the amount of money which you can get with this opportunity based on your particular circumstances in the UK. Okay, somebody says, would a pension from the UK include people who worked in Northern Ireland in the past? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Northern Ireland is under the United Kingdom, of course, it would. Okay, listen, we leave it there, John. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is John Ring from extrapension.com. On on post that we spoke about in the last hour and the problems that some people in West Cork are having getting their post because they centralised all of the sorting office. And you'd have to feel for the postmen and post women who, before they changed anything, they would have sorted the post locally and then delivered the post locally. But now they have to head in, depending on, you know, which of the peninsulas they're on, either into Bantry or into Skibbereen, do the sorting of the post there and then go back out on on their routes and deliver all of the post. John in Bantry says, why fix something that wasn't broken? It seems to be happening everywhere. The changing of um, post personnel where I live in Bantry, there's a crossroads. But now my postman goes as far as the top of the road and then has to turn away again. And then another postman takes over from my, my side. They seem to have changed everything, particularly with this new sorting office. I feel the post people are under severe pressure with the new uh, system. Yeah, and I know I got... Um, Another text in from a listener uh, reckoning that in some of the sorting offices, they know of workers who weren't allowed uh, overtime. And when people are off sick or on annual leave, there isn't any cover. Uh, so people can be waiting many, many days for their post. And that seems to what happened in Glengar. If somebody else says Kale Kill were, out, were without post for three, for three days uh, as well. And they don't seem to cover for people when they are out sick or on annual leave. And we're waiting for post to get back to us. And, and if we don't like the answer we get, we might ask that specific question that if a postman or a postwoman 
if they go out sick and when they get annual leave, are they replaced? Particularly if you're in an area where there isn't a lot of post people that they can pass the route on to somebody else and give them the overtime in order to get the mail delivered. Because as I say, Comrade have set a target of 94% is what they expect on post to do when it comes to next day delivery. That's of, of letters. I don't know what they, what they expect for parcels. 0818 Jerry is worried that post seems to go missing um, and that you'll often hear people complain that something was lost in the post. He reckons it's never been as bad. He said it's ridiculous that the sorting office from Cork was moved to Port Leash for the largest county in Ireland to have no sorting office and to have it sent to Leash instead. So Jerry's understanding is that all the post from Cork, from all over the city and county, it's sent up to Port Leash where it's sorted and then it's sent back down. It's ridiculous. Now Jerry said I could be wrong with that, but what I that's what he believes is happening. People he reckons now are registering po- po- their post in the hope that it will get to their destination. And even then, says Jerry, it's not always arriving on uh, time. Yeah, and we're hearing from uh, people who are saying that they have had missed appointments because the post uh, came uh, late. Brief note on the postal service or lack thereof in Glengariff or indeed other rural areas. This listener has a theory that on post will eventually reduce the postal delivery service to every second day. They'll follow that by a reduction to maybe once a week and then ultimately they'll offer you a collection service at your local post office. Mark my words, that will be their plan. Now that's somebody who's just thinking that that's what they will do. Marion Glengarve said it's absolutely chaotic situation since the sorting office moved to Bantry. One postman now is delivering an area that was previously covered by two post people. Medical appointments have been missed. Passports are arriving late. It is unbelievable. Yeah, and you see that is the issue. You do have to while we're moving away and I think everyone accepts that we don't get as much post now as we once did and a lot is done online, a lot is done by email and sure aren't we being encouraged to do everything online. We're actually being disencouraged to send anything through the post but there will always be a need for a postal uh, service. There'll be things like driving licence have to be sent out in the post, the passport that was mentioned uh, there, a new banking card that Caroline, Councillor Caroline Cronin herself uh, mentioned, your tax disc for your car. I know insurance discs, you can print them off but others like to have them sent through the post and everyone has access to a printer so there will always be a need for the postal uh, service and we've had a wonderful postal service in this country and I don't think anyone in any way is pointing the finger at blame at the people who work for on post, the postmen and postwomen. Uh, they work exceptionally hard and they are the friendliest bunch of people you will ever come across and they'll do everything that they can to try to get post to you. 0818 103 103 and I have to say this WhatsApp made me laugh. Firstly I saw the opening line and thought oh God what am I after doing? Somebody says morning to Patricia can I suggest you resign from your job and I was thinking oh what have I done or said now but then very quickly the text goes now no disrespect before I'm castigated by some of your audience but this listener has suggested that I put my name down on a ballot paper uh, to run for the councillor to run from the doll. I'm telling you for all the tea in China I have utmost respect for all of our politicians from our county councillors to our elected TDs to our senators but I think their job is one hell of a tough job And but thank you for the very kind words you're saying and explaining to me all the perks that I could get if I decide 
decided to run for office but no that is not on the cards. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. and another listener is saying Patricia I'm wondering if you're going to be covering the referendums that are happening on the 8th of March and if you are could you please explain it to us in layman's terms what it all means thanking you in advance from Liam in Blackpool. This day next week actually is when we are planning and looking at the two. Uh, I would always say referenda. I always thought the plural of referendum was referenda but I heard over the weekend that it, the plural is actually referendums because referenda sounds so silly. Anyway, the two referendums and I hope I'm not aff- offending anyone by saying the plural is referendums or referenda whatever you're having yourself. Okay, uh, Lima's right, they are happening on International Women's Day that is Friday the 8th of March. Next Monday we've set aside uh, when we're going to be doing some coverage on what's contained in a yes vote what it would be contained in a no vote. Now I know a lot of the, the certainly the national radio stations are doing head-on big debates where everyone's roaring at each other and shouting over each other and disputing everything that the other one has said. We've decided not to go down that route because I think it actually causes more confusion if you have two people head to head and one saying this is what's happening and the other said no you're wrong this is what's happening and it just is leading to utter confusion I think for a lot of people because what often happens when we have a referendum is there are levels of confusion. There seems to be a lot of confusion though I have to say over this one. So what we've decided to do, we've decided to next next Monday to ask one person from the from the no side to join us and one person from the yes side to join us and we're specifically saying to both of the people that are joining us to please put it in as layman terms as they possibly can so that all of us can understand what we are heading out to vote on on the 8th of March and we're going to do two separate interviews one on the no side and one on the yes side and we're going to be doing that next Monday morning for those of you who are interested now for others well, that will probably be a complete turn off and we'll have people saying I'm not going to listen to the radio but I'm just giving you advance warning that we'll be doing that next Monday. 0818 103 John Paul taking your calls. An experienced plaster is wanted for work in Cork City and County Safe Pass. Manual handling, own transport and tools are all necessary. You can ring or text 087 477 1346. A rigid truck driver is wanted for the Clonakilty and Bandon areas. Telephone Owen at 87 A maintenance technician is wanted for general and preventative maintenance in Castletown Bear. CVs to HR at shellfishireland.com. And a full-time Healthcare assistant is wanted for Maria Goretti Nursing Home. That's in Kilmallock. CVs to admin at mgnh.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. As we've been reporting on the news this morning, the Cork IFA have staged a protest at today's Cork County Council meeting. And to find out why the farmers are outside County Hall, I'm joined by Conor O'Leary. And Conor is the IFA Munster uh, Chairman. Good morning to you, Conor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, did many farmers attend the protest this morning? Uh, the protest started earlier this morning, Patricia, um, about quarter to seven in three areas, east uh, of the city, west of the city and south of the city. 
and altogether about 60 tractors from those areas went to Cork Airport earlier this morning. We left Cork Airport at 20 past 8, came towards the County Hall and altogether we've had about 100 tractors here. Now the protest is part, uh, Connor, of the IFA's Enough is Enough campaign. Can you outline to us why farmers are so frustrated and can I say so angry at the moment? Uh, farmers are so angry at the moment, Patricia, because we've been just tied up in a whole bureaucratic knot of regulation. Um, constant regulation, changing regulation, regulation that uh, sometimes works against itself and puts us in a kind of a logistical and a financial mess, really. Um, so farmers have you know, got to the point, and I think all across Europe, and it's probably coming in the back of the protests we've seen across Europe, where farmers at this point in time saying enough is enough, and I suppose it's pertinent to you have European elections coming up towards the end of May. So if, if a point is to be made, it's got to be made now. Yeah, we discussed the delayed acres payment. It only came yeah. up again last week on, on the programme. I mean, that kind of a situation just adds to the woes of farmers, doesn't it? You're expecting payment to arrive and then suddenly out of the blue you're told, no, it's not going to arrive, it's going to be a delay. And then what I thought really we were hearing from farmers, Connor, was nobody seemed to know when they were going to get their payment. That's right. And farmers still don't know when they're going to get them, Patricia. The minister has made an agreement that he'll make um, an interim payment. Um, but in some cases, it's only going to be a small percentage, really, of what guys um, farmers are owed. Um, and again, that's part of the regulation. So these, these farmers in the acres have undertaken measures, have undertaken costs. Some, you know, they've paid, paid planners, they've paid to put uh, trees and hedging and different um, items around their farm. And, you know, the contract said they were to be paid last October, November, December, and some of them are going to be six and seven months late now. But I, I think this is probably a symptom of the over-bureaucratic nature of what has happened. And you just have to wonder, you know, has the department's own systems come to the point in time where they can cope with the, you know, the, the layer and layer of bureaucracy that has happened here? Something, something's badly gone wrong anyway, Patricia. But just on, on the acres one, because as you say, the farmers did everything that was asked of them. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then just the, the money wasn't forthcoming. Does the finger of blame point at the Department of Agriculture here or was the hold up from, from Europe? No, I think the fingers would have to point at our own department in in this instance. Well, that's that's mm. that is a real that is a real shame. And then all of this over regulation and dare I say over complicated schemes is that yes. putting off young farmers from taking up farming? It, it is indeed. There was a CSO figure came out during the week. I don't have it exact, but it is of the nature that in 2015 the average age of a dairy farmer is 48 years, and today it's 54. So you just see that there is very little generational renewal. Now, the complicated nature is one thing, Patricia, but it's just the fact that we have no certainty. So, you know, if, if, you, if you, you know, even for infrastructure changes, and we need new infrastructure here in terms of slurry storage and so on, but no farmer can commit to it because they don't have the certainty that they're going to be left with the amount of stock that they have to pay off for it, or that there'd be a new regulation that would put them in trouble again next year, you know. Um, and it's just the fact that no one can do a five-year plan, no one can do a generational renewal plan. Um, people can't see a future, and that's why you have no young people really coming in. And I do think we've had a huge amount of young people now at our protests, particularly the one uh, two weeks ago at night time, but we quite a lot of them again this morning. And I know that there's so many young people who just love to go farming. And yeah, but shame, if, yeah, but so many of, yeah, and many yeah. of many of those, particularly if it's a farm family, have watched what their parents have gone through. And yeah. continue to go through, so you can understand Correct. why you, you they may want, they might want an easier life. 
That's right. That's right. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. Exactly that. And um, all of these regulations, do they just add lots of extra costs at a time when the cost of doing business is already rocketing? They do. They do. And we see it across everything. The cost of building now has gone you know, out of kilter. All our costs have gone out of kilter. You know, even down to the slightest things like changing the chemicals that we use for washing making machines and washing bulk tanks. The cost of that has trebled in two years. Um, and you'd say it's not even significant, but when you had them all up, so if a farmer was paying 500 euros, you know, two years ago, it's 1,500 euros now. And that type of nature of thing, it all adds up to such such a hit on, on, on the bottom line, you know. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, we've it's so easy for someone, look, it's the old adage, so easy for someone in, in, in an office. But, I mean, this really did come home to roost when, when we asked the teacher to ask the commissioner here, or the commission to see how we farm, he came, you know, in December, uh, went to an office in Dublin, never came to see a farm. And, you know, the people who make decisions for us have never seen our system of operation. They've never been here to see what we do. And it's, it's, it's just so frustrating because I think we have a really good story to tell, um, yeah. you know, in the way we produce food. And, and, you know, as farming is a way of life and the importance of farming to a county like Cork. So, um, so, it's, it's so really important. Significant, you know? yeah, yeah, just on yeah. cost of business, when I mentioned that we were going to be talking about the protests this morning, uh, a local farmer from Mallow, Tom, contacted us mm-hmm. just, just on a simple one. And he said he's just, he, he's just after ringing his waste collection company to come and take away his plastic. Yeah. And he said this time last year, it was 120 euro per tonne to take the plastic yeah. away. To be told, it's gone up to 200 euro per tonne. Yeah, yeah. And so, that's just and, on and one item. It's just on one item, and everything is compounded like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in milk, Patricia. You know, probably nearly half the farmers in, in, in County Cork are. But I would see that there has been, you know, our cost of production in milk were probably 30 cent per litre two years ago, and we're at 40 cent per now. So that's a massive increase. Um, and, it's, you know, it's going to stay there in now as a fixed cost, all that kind of price rise. But, I mean, look, it's probably going back down through every business. You know, the waste collector, costs have risen to that point. Um, we see it in contracting. Our contracting costs have got, have gone, you know, risen a whole lot, and the contractors are not finding it easy now. And and the regulation on that is making it difficult for them to 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 keep staff. So with our own um, contractor, you know, he he needs about twenty staff. The morning, the slurry season opens, for instance, um, and probably has three times the, the the amount of equipment that he that he would need if he could spread that work throughout the year a little bit more. But of course, slurry storage would help on that one. And again, it's the certainty we need and the confidence that a farmer would need to be able to undertake these measures. But it's important from from an infrastructural point of view for the country. Okay, and would you you say that too much of the cap payments going to environmental measures rather than going to food production? I mean, is, 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 is that widely accepted within farming? It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue, particularly with, um, you know, your more intensive beef farmers, your tillage farmers. I mean, for in, environmental measures should have demanded an environmental budget. That's where that should have come from. And it shouldn't have hit, you know, the existing commercial farming the way it did. And it's only now people are realising it. But there's no give in Europe in terms of making an environmental budget. And I mean, you know, they talk about just transitions and all this kind of narrative. There's just nothing just in what they're at. Um, you know, if, if we've got to employ environmental measures for the benefit of all of society, then it needs to be a new budget. 
Okay, so your protest this morning, just really to get people talking and to try to get people, yeah. I think, Connor, to understand how difficult yeah. it is yeah. to look, farm today. We're all in this, Patricia. It's you know, it's 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 all of society. Um, whatever demands are going to be on us in, in in terms of changing, but we do feel that you know changes are being made in farming's uh, sphere without proper consultation with farmers um, as to how the actual regulations will impact on the ground. And we'd have, you know, lots of ideas how things could be done better, Patricia, but unfortunately we're not able to get those ideas across at this moment in time. Okay. Hopefully they'll listen. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that the weekend yeah. I was watching that um, Jeremy Clarkson's programme on the farm yeah. uh, and, and I know it's, it's across the water but and I'd watched the first season as well and it, it's a programme I think that really brings home just how difficult farming is but yeah. the rules and the regulations and the red tape and, and most people who go to their local butcher shop to buy their meat or whatever it is or go to the shop to buy their milk People have no understanding. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com of how hard it is to make money out of farming. Yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, Connor. Right, um, thank you for that, and thanks uh, for joining us. I'm going to uh, Brian, who is a tillage farmer, no, not a member of IFA, but uh, I believe went to the protest this morning. Good morning, Brian. Hi, Patricia. Yeah, I actually am a member of the IFA. Oh, sorry, you are. My, my, my apologies. Okay, how, how did you feel? Um, what prompted you to, to take part in the protest this morning? I suppose um, the protest that went on a month ago as well, Patricia, I was at that and I, I felt a lot of frustration from farmers across every sector, not just uh, my sector, the tillage, from every sector. There's huge pressure and 
just listening to Connell there. Um, yes, we have um, policies. Yes, we have regulations. Bottom line here, Patricia, we're going out of business financially. We can deal with regulations. We can deal with policies down the road. But financially, if we can't if we can't get paid for our produce, hey, we can be talking about policies in two years' time when we're out of business. It won't matter. Um, the, the, the main issue isn't being addressed here. We are actually going out of business. Um, I was on with PJ Coogan earlier on, and uh, I, I made the point that it's not as simple as putting food up in the supermarket, because let's face it, there's a lot of people on the breadline in this country, whether we want to face it or not, there is a huge problem here. So it's not as simple as that. But we, as farmers, feel we need to get more for our produce. We, we have to. It's not that we feel we need to. We have to because we're going out of business. I myself lost money last year growing grain. I lost money. You see, this is, this, this is the point I'm trying to get across to people. There's no other business that people would be expected to provide a service or provide a product yeah. and at the end of the year to say that actually cost me to make that Absolutely. product. And that's happening across various sectors of farming. It, it, it's impossible for people to keep going, yet we need farmers to produce food to feed the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're 100% in saying that. And I mean, OK, if you look at the basis of the of common agricultural policy when it was set up, that was to for food security, to yeah. keep food cheap and so on. And I agree with it. While the whole basis of that was an absolutely brilliant idea, in the last 30 years, that's actually after snowballing. And the price to the consumer, we may say that it's, it's uh, too cheap. It's not too cheap. It's very expensive. But the price that the producer is getting is, uh, it's a percentage. Uh, can I give you, if, if we have time to give you an example? Please do, yeah. This, Please do. Yeah. Um, I myself grew, grew 40 acres of oats last year. I got €195 Euro per tonne for the oats. If you go into any supermarket, and I'm not just talking about Flavins brand, go to a cheap brand of oats here, it's €1.95 per kilo. That equates to €1,950 per tonne it's being sold as. So I'm getting 10% of the consumer, of what the consumer is paying here. As a matter of fact, I'm not getting 10% because I still have my bills to pay out of that. I'm probably only getting 2 or 3% of that. But here's a big issue, Patricia, that the producer is only getting a certain amount Supermarkets, of course, I, I agree, does the supply chain. Transport has to be paid for. Supermarkets have to be paid for. But how, where is this massive difference coming from? Where is, mm. where is this 1,000% difference. of an increase yeah. coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, There's a bigger issue here and nobody is highlighting that. Nobody is highlighting that. And, you know, we, we know, you know, the cost of living has gone up. You know, we yeah. know inflation has, has been, even though it's, it's slowly coming back down, but it's still high, higher than it was. And we know cost of everything has uh, gone up. So it's, it's not just uh, the farming community, but it's, it's, it's all of the small increases, like the Tom from Mallow who contacted us earlier about getting his plastic collected, the yeah. waste company, right. gone from 120 to 200. It mightn't sound like a lot, but that's on top of all of the other bills that are coming in and everything's gone up and there's not enough money coming in. Correct. It's all relative. You're dead right. It's all relative and and everything should be relative but it's not. That stopped a good few years ago. As a matter of fact, that stopped at COVID. Um, I do see another issue coming down the line, Patricia, and and I'm glad I'm able to speak to you on this and, and convey the message, but what I see happening at the moment, and this isn't just an Irish problem, this is an EU problem. I can see food production in Europe 
ceasing within the, ten, the next 10 years. And my reason for that is, and I suppose if I was an accountant, if I, accountant and if I, if I was employed at EU level to have a look at things, I would probably say, lads, stop producing food in this state of the world. It's way too expensive. Import it. Get it all in. It's way cheaper. And I can see the economics of it. The EU are based on economics. I get that. But... If we have a situation in a few years' time, which I think we're actually going that direction, that we're not producing food in this side of the world and we're depending on uh, South America, we're depending on Ukraine, who have their own issues at the moment. Yeah. Um, if we're depending on them to get our food in, what happens if there's another COVID? What happens yeah, if there's yeah. a natural disaster? What happens if the, f- the supply chain breaks? We're in a bad position then, Patricia. We don't have food because our farmers have stopped have stopped growing it because they can, they're gone out of business. Do so, you, and I know I touched on it with Connor. do you worry about the younger generation? Can you understand, yes, can you understand why they don't want to take uh, up farming? Uh, oh, God, I do. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my own son, he's 22-year-old, loves tractors at the moment, loves machinery, loves farming, but ah, I'm kind of telling him, go on away to Australia. <laughs> you know what I yeah. Mean? And, and that's that, sad. That, it's very sad. And and you're dead. That's a great point you've hit here. It's not about me. It's about the next generation. It's it's about the supply of food for the next generation. And I really yeah, do think yeah. there's going to be there's an issue down the line here. And that point is not being made right across the EU. It's not being seen. Okay. And this on this continued delayed with the acres payment. Hi, Patricia. I'm a West Cork farmer, still waiting on my payments to arrive. I've bills to pay and a family to support. How am I expected to support my family and pay my bills if my farm payment hasn't arrived? That whole acre situation is just, it's ludicrous for how long it's gone on to. It it really is. It is. And another bigger issue here, um, Patricia, the whole farm payment thing, Again, that's not indexed properly. I, I suppose to explain that, when my father back in 2004, uh, as far as I remember, was 24,000 he got from the single farm payment, which was, yeah, it was good money at the time. He was farming a lot of land. I know at this moment I'm getting 16,000 from the single farm payment. <sighs> now, if you index 24,000... It's worth a lot more to today. It's, it's worth 53,000. Yeah, at least, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. That is a great example. Brian, I leave it there. Listen, um, look after yourself and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. I have just huge, huge sympathies for the farming community. They are trying so hard. That's Brian, a tillage farmer from Kinsale, joining us. He was part of that protest outside County Hall this morning, organised by the IFA. Now, a team of researchers at University College Dublin is urging people with psoriasis across Ireland to sign up for a new study examining their risk of developing psoriasis-related arthritis or psorithic arthritis. And joining me with further information is Professor Oliver Fitzgerald, who is co-lead of the study. And Oliver is also a consultant rheumatologist. Good morning to you, Oliver. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on your programme. Well, you're very welcome. I suppose, firstly, can you start by just outlining what psoriasis is? Okay. yes. So psoriasis is a common skin rash. Um, it occurs in about 2 to 3% of the population. So you're talking about maybe 100,000 people in the country uh, would have psoriasis. It usually presents as a uh, scaly, itchy, uh, red uh, patch, which um, may occur typically at the uh, backs of the elbows or the fronts of the knees uh, or the scalp. Um, it can also involve the nails. And it can be it can be quite severe. It can uh, affect the you know the substantial proportion or all of the body can be affected by psoriasis in severe cases. 
Um, so we tend to think of it as a, as a, as a significant skin rash. Um, however, we also know that uh, psoriasis patients may have other problems as well. And the particular one we're focusing on here is uh, the arthritis that can occur, known as psoriatic arthritis. It can occur in roughly one patient in three uh, will develop um, psoriatic arthritis. Do we, are there any known causes for psoriasis? Um, well, we know some of the things that contribute to the development, and one of them certainly is uh, genetics. So um, there, there are people often have a family history of psoriasis. Um, it may not be necessarily a mother or a father. It could be an uncle or an aunt or a cousin, but it would be common for a psoriasis uh, person to have a relative somewhere uh, with psoriasis. And the same would be the case with the psoriatic arthritis. It tends to run in families as well. So, so um, genetics is important, um, and we know some of the genetic factors. But we also know that it occurs more frequently in uh, people who are overweight. Um, it may be triggered by things like uh, trauma uh, to the skin, or injury to the skin, um, and maybe triggered sometimes by infection as well. Um, so there are a number of factors which uh, contribute to the development of psoriasis. And this particular type of arthritis from, from the psoriasis, is that different to other forms of arthritis? Well, yes, it is. Um, it, it, it certainly can, um, in some people, it can be difficult to distinguish, say, psoriatic arthritis from, say, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but there are particular features that occur in psoriatic arthritis that uh, would not be typical, of, say, of rheumatoid. So, for example, um, psoriatic arthritis patients may have just uh, a few joints involved, may just have one or two or three joints involved, or sometimes they could have lots of joints involved. But they also may get inflammation elsewhere in their um, musculoskeletal system. So, for example where the uh, Achilles tendon is attached to the back of the heel, um, that can become inflamed. And the inflammation of the tendons like that can occur in a number of different sites throughout the body. It can also cause uh, something we, we call sausage digits. So this is where the um, fingers or the toes may swell up like little sausages, um, which uh, obviously can be uh, quite painful. I'm thinking of King Charles. You're you're which? I'm thinking of King Charles in the UK. He's got those sausage fingers that he's always trying to hide. I'm just really? wondering. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I must have a look more yeah. closely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and his early diagnosis of this psoriatic arthritis, is that important for better outcomes? It is very important for better outcome. And, and that's what this study is trying to address because... Right now, we don't have a way of diagnosing um, the condition. There are no tests uh, to assist us with that diagnosis. The diagnosis is based on the recognition by the healthcare professional that these symptoms may be related to arthritis. And it, it may not always be obvious. Um, so it, as a result of, of that, and as a result of the fact that Many people don't. Many people with psoriasis don't know that they can develop arthritis. It may go undetected for quite some time, and as a result of that, um, 
outcome and patient outcome uh, may not be as good as it should be. So what we're trying to do with this study is to identify risk factors that will assist in the early detection and early diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis in people with psoriasis. So you're looking for people who I'm assuming have already been diagnosed with psoriasis, but they haven't got the arthritis yet. Precisely, yes. So people with psoriasis who were over the age of 18 and who do not have a diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis can sign up to this study. Um, So they they do so by uh, going online. Um, It's a completely online study, so they do it from the comfort of their own home. Great. Um, It's a a study where they uh, go into the website www.hpos.study. Um, they're on that website then they can register for the study they can provide their consent to participate and they will be asked to fill out a small number of questionnaires on a six monthly basis over a three year period of follow up Um, so what we're hoping to identify um, in the period of follow up are early symptoms that might suggest the development of arthritis in these people with psoriasis and if they look like they're developing symptoms typical of psoriatic arthritis, we will inform the participant that that is occurring and that they would be advised to uh, seek um, a medical assessment uh, locally. Okay, so there could be a, a health benefit as well. And, exactly. and am I right, this isn't just an Irish study, it's, it's happening in other European countries as well. It's a, it's a big enough study. So it's a big enough study that the, the total number of participants is 25,000. Um, the, it, it's not an Irish study, but it, it, the study is in fact being led uh, by uh, myself and my colleague uh, Steve Pennington at UCD, uh, together with the University of Oxford. So we're leading on the study, um, and uh, we are looking for 2,000 people in Ireland to sign up to the study. So the, the will, when, the, when the, all the studies, when all the countries get started, um, there will be 15 countries involved. Um, and each country will be asked to uh, try to recruit 2,000 participants. Fantastic, Fa- fantastic. And actually, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a consultant at Rheumatologist. Has, have, have treatments for arthritis, have they improved in um, recent years? Yes, uh, in particular for the, uh, for the psoriasis. So um, in recent years, there have been substantial improvements in uh, responses to treatment, um, in particular you know, for people with bad psoriasis, they can expect um, with some of these new treatments to get uh, clearance rates of their psoriasis of 90 or even 100% clearance, which is, you know, hugely life-changing uh, in people who have bad disease. Unfortunately, for the arthritis component, while certainly the responses are much better with treatments, not as many people respond, and some people lose their response over a period of time. So, we do need to make further improvements there. Yeah, because it's a very, very painful uh, condition. Okay, so anybody out there with psoriasis or anybody in your household with psoriasis over the age of 18, uh, study. please uh, sign up for it. Oliver, we wish you good luck with it and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today.
You're very good. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Professor Oliver uh, Fitzgerald, co-lead of uh, that uh, study. And it would be great uh, if we could help out in any way for him to get, because 2,000 is a lot of people, anyone with psoriasis. And psoriasis is is a common uh, condition for sure. You hear of people who get it. You hear people talking of getting flare-ups from it. Uh, It can be really awful. And particularly when you get it on your scalp, it can be very the itchiness that goes with it uh, as well. Really, really uncomfortable uh, condition as well. And I know it often comes up actually with Annalise Drussell on our nutritional slot. We will often hear from people who are suffering from the skin condition psoriasis. By the way, a big reaction to our piece on that psoriasis study that I spoke with Professor Oliver Fitzgerald of In the Last Hour and a number of people looking for the to take part in the study because you do it from home. It's just online. Happens over three years. I think every six months you'll be asked to uh, fill in a questionnaire and if they do think that you are at risk of arthritis Uh, you could be contacted uh, as well. So well worthwhile doing if you are a psoriasis sufferer. So to to take part in the study or to register your interest to take part in the study is www.hpos. So hpos.study. There's nothing else. It's just hpos.study. I thought there was a dot com on the end of it, but there isn't. And I've just actually, while the news was on, I I, I put in hpos.study. Very easy. You simply just register. But it goes through what this study is all about. It's actually, they've started this study uh, five years ago. So they're now into the, the next stage of it. They're trying to recruit 25,000 psoriasis sufferers from all across Europe. So in Ireland, they're looking for 2,000 people to register. So you register, but you can find out if you go onto the website, they've got all of the information, everything I spoke with Oliver about and more. If you want to find out more about it and you are a psoriasis uh, sufferer, because as I say, it is, seems to be quite a common condition. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Michael was on to us saying, just wants to something that happened with him it was last Friday he took his mother to a hospital appointment his mother had an appointment at the University Hospital in uh, Limerick as Michael says the regional hospital and uh, people would still refer to it like, a little bit like our CUH people still refer to it as, as the regional anyway they got to the appointment and there was absolutely no problem at all appointment went according to plan uh, but then they needed to get back they needed to get a bus from the hospital to get them back to the bus station in order to get Michael and his mother back back home. However, when they went to the bus stop outside the university hospital in Limerick, they were waiting over an hour for a bus to take them into the city, in, in, to the bus station in Limerick City. He said a number of buses passed, but none of them stopped. He said there were some buses passed but it said out of service and I'm assuming the ones that just passed were probably full anyway they had to wait over an hour finally one uh, arrived uh, Michael also feels that the bus drivers were not the friendliest bunch of people under the sun just saying this as it's an awful service says Michael for public transport and we're all being pushed more towards social tra- towards public transport I mean we have our Green Transport Minister Eamon Ryan actively encouraging everyone to take the train, to take the bus, get out of our cars, try where possible not to be driving in our cars. And, you know, 
so Michael and his mother doing just that rather than driving to the hospital they go by bus and then to have a service like that and I, I don't know what age Michael's mother is but if it's an elderly person who's been to a hospital appointment and then you're expecting them to wait for an hour in order to get a bus to get you into the bus station and then another journey home it, it certainly isn't uh, good enough I hope you've made a, a complaint uh, to Bus Air and about it uh, Michael you should what you've told us you should be sending that to them uh, as well so they're aware that that service is isn't up to scratch and I'm assuming the regional hospital in Limerick is a busy, busy hospital so I imagine that there's a lot of patients will be going on the bus and particularly when they closed um, A&E services and A&E units in some of the other hospitals they funnel a lot of people in through University Hospital in Limerick so there will be a lot of people travelling from outside the area who would be going into the bus station in Limerick and then getting the bus out to the hospital and they need to get the bus back in in order for them to get their bus to get home. So I'm assuming a lot of people use that uh, service. So I certainly would be passing on your thoughts and concerns uh, to them, Michael. But thank you for your text to us this morning. We were talking about delayed post and no post in the Glengariff area. We're still waiting on a response from Ampost as to why. And we're assuming that the postman, postwoman was either off on annual leave or off on sick leave and there was nobody to replace them. I mean, do they need to start recruiting more postmen and women? You would have to uh, question, would you not? Somebody said a Christmas card that was posted in Rathcormac on the 15th of December arrived in Formoy on the 16th of February. <laughs> Two months and a day uh, later. Goodness me, that's... Where's your next day delivery there? And with Comreg telling on POS the target is 94%. That's a over just a little over two months waiting on a Christmas card. And we hope you did have a lovely Christmas, uh, by the way. Now, on the dishwasher... The listener who, who contacted us uh, before 12 having an issue with their uh, dishwasher and it's washing the dishes. But what's happening then is this is what's happening this is from Sharon is when the dishes all come out, come out, there's dirt left inside, especially in the cups. And she says, especially in the cups. So I'm assuming not everything is washing per- perfectly, but the cups in particular seem to be a target at the moment. And she's wondering, is it the tablet that she's using? And I'm assuming she's changed, tried different tablets, but nothing seems to be uh, working. Some of your suggestions, please. We had the very same issue, says this t- texter with our dishwasher. It turned out we had new plates. They were too big and they were stopping the spray piece from spinning underneath the shelf. And that was leaving stuff on the top shelf dirty. So check and see, did you get extra large plates that will stop the actual spray from spinning? Someone else says, tell Sharon to use the Finnish dishwasher cleaner. The upside down bottle, you put it in in the hot cycle and tell her to make sure she's topped up on the salt in her dishwasher. I was wondering as well, could it be that the dishwasher just needs a good uh, clean out? I, I, I try and do mine every kind of three months, but it's to try to remember doing it. I'm wondering, could it be that issue as well? While Suzanne says, tell Sharon to check the filter. Very same thing happened to me before and it turned out the filter was full. How often do we check the filter on our dishwasher? And Peg in Barry Rowe says, Patricia, tell Sharon, the dishwasher uh, lady, tell her to take out the sprinkler arm 
and run it under the, the tap as the sprinkler arm can get clogged. It just twists off. Now, I did not know that, Peg, in Barry Row, and it's something I've never done. I shall post haste to go home and take off the sprinkler arm and run it under a tap because I was certainly unaware of that. Thank you for your advice and indeed to all of the people offering advice for uh, Sharon. 0818103103. And on the farmers waiting on the acres payment, which we've been discussing since it got announced last December when they were due the money, we were, they were told they weren't going to get it until the new year and they're still waiting on it. And then we did hear last week, we thought it was a good news story that they were going to get a part payment, but even even some of the farmers haven't even got their part payment uh, yet. Someone says, Patricia, isn't it absolutely ridiculous? You're hearing from farmers who are waiting on a payment from the Department of Agriculture, but the Department of Agriculture are part of the government and indeed the same department that had no problem spending almost a million, it was €800,000 to bring Ukrainian pets uh, safely into this country. I keep meaning to get that figure checked. That was went around a while ago uh, because we did check up on Ukrainians who travelled with their pets and I absolutely accept if you're leaving everything behind you you're not going to leave a much loved cat or dog with you so I understood, I understand why people bring their pets uh, with them but that figure of 800000 it got raised in the doll and I haven't heard any anybody dispute it. So I take it that it is the correct figure. It seems like a staggering amount of uh, money but obviously there was quarantine needed to be done for some of the pets um, and travel, you know, booking them on flights, uh, etc. But it does seem like a lot of money for sure. 0818 uh, 103 103. I mentioned UK pensions earlier on uh, today. Can I just give a shout out? This is on Irish pensions, but in particular, some really, really good news for family carers. It seems it's about 2,000 family carers will be able to receive the state pension. And this is following reforms to the eligibility criteria. Legislation which was introduced last month. It means that long-term carers can factor the time they spend looking after a a loved one and that time spent will go into their pension contributions. The change in the legislation affects carers who have looked after their loved ones or their dependents for 20 years or longer. Under the scheme, the duration of time a care provider spent looking after somebody can now be included. Now, this is for the first time ever into their social insurance record. And of course, it's the social insurance record which gives people access to a state contributory pension. We do have the other one, the non-contributory, but that is means tested and some people might be outside of the means uh, testing one when actually they deserve to get a contributory pension. There has been a number of applications so far. Over 2,000 people have already put in applications and acknowledging the number of applicants. The Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys last week said she's absolutely delighted so far at the level of interest. She said it's extremely high and, and, you know, in fairness to her, as the Social Protection Minister, supporting carers has always been a very high priority for her. Now, the Minister outlined how she's changed also the means testing of allowances for carers since she was appointed to the government. And that's in with a view to ensuring that there is more state support for those who do decide to provide full time care. And there are a number and it is and I'm not being sexist, but it is mainly women who give up jobs to look after a loved one. The What's happening is the income thresholds have been substantially increased in recent budgets. Now it isn't in yet but it does mean from June of this year a couple can earn up to €900 Euro a week and have five 
€50,000 in savings and still qualify for the full carer's allowance payment. Now, that change is going to mean that a number of people who applied for carer's allowance in the past, and we would often have heard from them, who maybe their husband's income was over by 10 euro or they had a bit extra inside in the bank saving for a rainy day and they were turned down for a carer's allowance. There's a lot of people now are going to be able to reapply and I must make a note, I must remind John Paul to make a note of and we'll do something on it coming closer to the time. Uh, there's no point applying yet because the, the new criteria doesn't kick in until uh, June and Heather Humphreys is quite proud of the fact that she's increasing what couples can earn to 900 euro a week and increasing how much they have in uh, the bank and she accepts that we have women who have given up their jobs to care particularly say for a child with disabilities but because their husband works they're not qualifying even though they're giving full-time care sometimes that care is 24-7 and that's why she set up this interdepartmental group to examine the means tests for carers in, in entirely so there is going to be big changes when it comes to the carers allowance we'll, we'll maybe get the carers family carers uh, to join us just to explain the changes but they're not coming in until June but certainly that's an additional bit of good news for any family carer uh, listening but if you're at the age of pension age or coming close to pension age uh, it's good to know that more and more uh, carers when they hit pension age will be entitled to a state contributory pension. 0818 103 103 Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See Cork Donnerill Active Retirement, they're holding their AGM three o'clock this afternoon. Please note that your membership fees are due. And Butterfin de Bingo continues in the GAA Hall tonight, eight o'clock. Their jackpot this week is €5,650. Mallow Field Club will host Neil Donovan speaking on Liam Lynch and the IRA's Cork Number no. 2 Brigade. It's tomorrow, Tuesday, eight o'clock in the Social Services Centre in Mallow with admission €5. And Kilavollen Community Café will be held in the Community Centre tomorrow morning between half past 10 and half past 12. You're invited to come along and enjoy meeting up with friends for a cuppa and a chat. And Drum Tariff Parish will hold a meeting this Wednesday, 8 o'clock. It's to discuss the future of parish life while taking into account the reducing numbers and increasing age of the priests locally. Those who are involved in any ministry or any parish committee are please asked to make a special effort to attend this meeting in Drum Tariff Parish next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. I'm still getting suggestions in for poor old Sharon and her dishwasher uh, issue, including Ed says he had the very same problem with his dishwasher. He bought herself a new pair of marigold gloves. I'd say you did, Ed. I'd say you did. And Patton from Oi says, tell Sharon if she's a married lady she could ask her husband to take a look at the uh, dishwasher. She can also always look at it herself as well, Pat, and try and sort it out. Hi Patricia, tell the lady with the dishwasher to wash them by hand. It's a lot quicker and it is a lot cheaper, says Martin in Formoy. And Mark on the IFA says the IFA would want to up their campaign to maintain and grow the suckler cow herd in this country. It's not just big dairy farmers they ought to be concerned about. And that is from Mark. Keep your questions coming in for 
Annalise Dressel, please, our nutritional therapist. I can see a number coming in by text and WhatsApp. John Paul's also taking them over the phone to 0818103103. Read an interesting piece before it came on air uh, this morning. And this is to do with why we have a lot of people uh, complaining about illegal migrants coming into this uh, country. There also is a problem trying to get migrant workers to come here to work because we have work shortages across various uh, industries. And there's a really good piece in today's Irish Independent where they're saying demand for migrant workers, and this is to fill skills gap, has more than doubled. The government officials now are dealing with the surge of employers who are seeking permits to bring staff in from outside of Europe because they can't get workers in this country. Now, there has been increases in the minimum salaries that they must offer from last week, but um, from last month, but that doesn't seem to be putting employers off, and that is good news. The one thing we don't want is employers bringing in people on cheap labour Labour, if we're bringing people into this country to work, then they need to be paid. Demand for work purposes has intensified, and that's obvious since the economy here. We've hit full um, um, employment, and the department now uh, say that they are issuing more and more work permits. Nurses, healthcare assistants, chefs, computer programmers and doctors, they're obviously the top candidates that are being sought. A Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment spokesperson said last month was a particularly busy period for work permit applications. The department received 5,366 permanent permit applications. That was just for the month of January. And when you compare that to the previous year, it was more than double the figure for January of 2023. The minister is on record as saying that as a result of effective full employment, demand on the employment permit system is very high and it is going to continue to rise. In 2022, 40,000 permits permits were issued and demand remains high with over 31 permits issued in 2023. Now these are permits for outside of the European Economic uh, Union and these are for people coming to Ireland to address real skills shortages and these real skills shortages they're impacting businesses right across uh, the country. If people can't get the workers then effectively they've got to close up their businesses. The number of permits issued has soared in the last decade. I mean if you go back to 10 years ago to say 2013 3,860 would have been the total whereas you look at last year that number has jumped tenfold to 31,000. Where are workers coming from? Predominantly India the Philippines, Brazil, Pakistan and China. They're the main nationalities that are coming. Healthcare workers, no surprise to see they're in, they were in highest demand last year and they actually overtook staff in the ICT sector where the highest proportions of permits were issued the year before. Demand for permits was also high for accommodation and in food services, financial services and also interestingly in agriculture. Just over 1,300 permits were issued in construction. Now that's a worry because that's a small fraction of the number of construction workers. We only spoke about this last week on the the programme. The number of construction workers uh, we need so much so that we've already heard Minister Simon Harris saying they're going to look abroad to see if we can get Irish construction workers to come back. Now most of the permits were issued to employers in Dublin, us here in Cork, Kildare, Limerick, Galway and Meath. And there's also a breakdown of the companies that are seeking the largest numbers of workers from abroad. Amazon 
is on top of the list. AIB, I wouldn't have, obviously they're looking for financial uh, workers. Google is up there, Accenture, the University of Limerick Hospitals uh, Group, and they're one of the top, as are the NCT operator Atlas, but we knew that they had to go overseas because they couldn't get the mechanics to do the the NCT tests. And TikTok were also some of the employers with the largest number of workers from abroad. Now, the uh, it's and its pay is the real incentive why so many people want uh, to come here. In this article I was reading uh, this morning, the majority of workers, they pay the minimum rate, but even a minimum wage in this country, which to you or I, people might say, isn't a very high figure. But somebody coming from the uh, Philippines, say a tradesperson coming from the Philippines, the example they cite is somebody in their mid-40s. The pay they would get here would allow them to buy a house, a few acres of land and machinery to run a business and that would be after just two years of coming to this country to work and then they go back to their family, buy their house, buy their little plot of land and their machinery and they set up their own little business in the uh, Philippines. Uh, In December, the junior minister, Neil Richmond, he announced the largest ever expansion of the employment permit schemes and that was just literally due to high demand. Now he also increased the minimum salary requirements. They went up by 7,000 in the uh, shake-up. The salary requirements for most general employment permit holders, for example, went from 30,000 to 34,000 while healthcare assistants and meat processing workers, their minimum pay went from 22,000 to 30,000. Very hard to live in this country when you've got to pay rent on 22,000. And Colm Hillard is director of a company called Work Permits Ireland and they help employers and organisations who are applying for these permits. He says there's a shortage of skills we don't have the people here in Ireland. We, they then look to EU countries. They don't have the workers in, e, in EU countries uh, available in areas such as hospitality and agriculture. And he says, I do think we will see an increase in the number of applicants that will come uh, this year. And Adrian Cummins is quoted, Chief Executive of the Restaurant Association of Ireland. He says there's a bit of red tape involved and that it can take a few weeks to get a work permit but then it's up to 10 months for the visas that are required. He said the work permit system is fine, but it's the visa system, he says, is broken. You should be able to apply all in one go. He says, surely it's not rocket science. And then obviously when they do come to this country, we've had the add-on problem, that there's a shortage of accommodation on where they're going to stay. stay. Now he said the increase in salary is going to be another issue for some businesses to contend with. But I think if we're bringing people in from overseas, we have to make sure that they have enough money to rent a property because rent has gone so high. So there's a full list of, well, the top roles where we recruited uh, from last year alone. Nurses are at the top. 4,344 nurses came from outside the EU to this country in order to work. Healthcare assistants were next. Chefs, 2,361. Computer programmers, just under 2,000. Doctors, 1,668. Where would we be without our overseas doctors, healthcare and nurses? And then it goes down to IT business, business and finance, production and processing engineers, meat operatives. They're obviously working in the meat plants. 562 came last year. Civil engineers, 
502, welding trades 498, electronic engineers 463 and the bottom is marketing associate professionals 431. But it looks like we're just going to see more and more workers because we don't have enough in this country. But you add to that, many of those workers will decide not to come here if they can't get a place to live or if they do come here and the cost of living is too high, they ain't going to be staying very long. I'm just getting reports in from drivers on the Bandit in a Shannon Road. There's a load of clothes on the road. It's like they fell off maybe the back of a truck or maybe off the roof of a car. I don't know, but drivers are asked to be uh, be very aware if you're travelling on that road because it's near the Bad Bend, you know, we all affectionately call it the chip corner. Uh, so just be very, very careful on the band into Inna Shannon Road until somebody gets out there and sorts out the clothes and gets them off the road. Uh, please be careful. 0818 103 103. Annalise Drissell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joining me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Uh, interestingly, I just did an interview with a professor he's a rheumatologist they're doing a big study on psoriasis and the link between psoriasis and the form of arthritis that you get if you have psoriasis they're looking for people to take part in this big study which is right across Europe but that has led to Tom in Rathgormack he suffers very badly from psoriasis he said sometimes it can get so bad it actually bleeds Oh, I would give any recommendations for psoriasis it's a really nasty skin condition isn't it very nasty. Um, like psoriasis, in my experience, Patricia, is often linked with the gut. Um, it's actually, they think, an autoimmune condition. Um, and what happens is the immune system drives the skin cells to turn over far faster than usual. So they form this kind of, they build up and form this kind of plaque of skin. And the skin, of course, becomes extremely dry and can crack very easily. It can be very itchy um, and it can it can be very difficult to deal with. A lot of people will find that they'll use a cream and it helps for a while, but then it stops helping. So my own experience really, and this goes for the psoriatic arthritis as well, I think a lot of people who've got that have IBS. So I think you need to work on the gut and you also need to work on the skin. So there's a couple of things that he could try. I definitely would try a probiotic. Um, there's a couple of very good ones on the market, but there is one that's been specially formulated for skin. It's by a company called BioNutri, and it's called Dermodophilus, D-E-R-M-O for the skin, and Dophilus, like um, the bacteria Acidophilus. So that would be a very good one. Or another very good strain for the skin is a, a, something called Lactobacillus rhamnosus, um, and that's another one that will be what that probably is easier to get in a health shop, I think. Um, so that would help with the gut without doing anything else. But if there are food intolerances, it should be um, they should be identified and then they should be cut out of the diet for a period of time and allow the skin to kind of heal before they're reintroduced again. So a test is good for that. Then in terms of topical um, things, well, the first thing actually I'd say is put the fat in by taking a very high strength omega-3 fish oil. And you want one. Fish oils are made up of two types of omega-3, EPA and DHA. And the DHA is better for the skin. So if you could get one that's high in that and take that daily, that helps to kind of waterproof the skin from the inside. And the lovely thing about fish oils as well is they do have an immune modulating effect. So they can be very good for people with autoimmune conditions. And then in terms of balms. So some people get great results from something called Oregon Grape Root Balm. It's by a company called Viridian. You could try that one. We've got a new... um, product here that has just been um, 
formulated by a company called Tifaz Terra, and they use mushroom extracts. Now, this kind of came out of a product, Patricia, that we used to recommend for people who were having radium treatment and their skin would get extremely dry and sensitive and very, very sore, and it was wonderful for that. So they reformulated it for kind of other skin conditions. It's called Myco Serum, M-I-C-Y-O Serum, S-E-R-U-M, um, and that had, can be fantastic for psoriasis as well. So you could try a couple of those things and see how far you'd get. Okay, hi, Annalise. My daughter is perimenopausal. She can't sleep. If she's lucky, she might get one or two hours at night. Sometimes she's so bad, she can't actually go to work. She's so exhausted. We've tried everything, but nothing is working. Please help us, Margaret. So there's, like, you could come at this from the sleep element, Patricia, but I think really the way to figure this one out is to come at it from the hormone balance level. So the first thing I would ask is this is this daughter on HRT because that can actually solve problems for an awful lot of women. So I'd recommend that she goes and talks to her doctor about that. And if she didn't want to take the actual medicated HRT, you can take plant-based HRT. So there's a product here that we find works really, really well for people and particularly people who have the sleep difficulties. And it's by a company called Nutri-Advanced and it is perimenopause support. It's kind of a powder. Um... And we get great feedback on this. It's great for the sleeplessness, the hot flushes. It's great for um, for the low kind of level anxiety that women suffer as well with menopause. So it works across the different levels. And there are some plant-based hormones in there for hormonal balance. So I would definitely try that. The other one that's quite good as well is the um, Revive um, Menoactive. So that has got a lot of the same stuff in there if you can't get your hands on the Nutri-Advanced one. So I'd come at it from that level and then maybe try something like magnesium bisglycinate at night on top of that just to give the body an extra kind of a sleep boost. Um, and they would should be available in most health shops. But definitely if they don't do the job, you want to be taking them for about one to two months before you could say whether they were working or not. And if they aren't, I would definitely, definitely consider HRT. OK, hi, Annalise. I'm taking red r- rice yeast to lower my cholesterol. Can I also take plant sterols? Yes, you can. Absolutely. They work in different ways. The red rice yeast actually is exactly the same as the statin drugs that the doctor prescribes in its pharmacological activity. So it does the same thing by stopping the production of cholesterol in the liver. Um, But the plant sterols work differently. They kind of fool the body into thinking that there is cholesterol in the system, even though we can't utilize it. So the the liver stops making cholesterol. And there's a product where you can get them both together. It's the new, this Cardio K comes in two forms now. One is just this, the red rice yeast, and one is it with plant sterols. So that will be a good one because you get them all in the same tablet. Hi, question for Annalise, please. I was recently at an eye doctor and the pressure in my eye is at a high level. Now, not glaucoma yet. Are there any supplements that might be helpful for eye health? Health. I have a healthy, varied diet as a West Cork listener. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably one of the best things is the fish oils, Patricia, because they benefit in a couple of different ways. One is that they would help in terms of um, thinning the blood. It's always very good for anything with kind of blood pressure is to make sure your blood isn't clotty and is flowing beautifully. They're also very anti-inflammatory. And the fish oils, of course, are also very, very good for eye health, um, particularly as well if there's dry eye. So I would get a good um, good omega-3. Um, there is one formulated, actually, it's, they call it Actase, um, for the eye, an omega-3 for the eye, and it's actually very good value. Another thing you might like to add is um, lutein, which is 
also been proven to be very beneficial for eye health. Eyebright is a herb as well. I know that uh, Viridian do an eyebright complex that has a number of different things in there, including lutein. Excuse me again, very, very good for the um, general overall health of the eye. So I would come at it from both of those angles. Um, And if you're working in front of a computer, just make sure you take a break every 20 minutes, even for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, not to be looking at screens, because I think that's one of the biggest things in terms of poor eye health that, um, that we're dealing with these days. Okay, Norma, question for Annalise. I suffer a lot from chest infections. For example, I've already had two so far this year. What can I take to keep them away? And also, could you recommend a good probiotic? Yeah, absolutely. So I would take the very basics, um, vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc are generally, and selenium sometimes as well. The three of those or the four of those combined are the kind of the very basics for your immune system. So taking something every day will just make sure that they... um, that, that they're always, you know, you're never going to be deficient with them. And then there's a couple of different products. There's actually one product that I think would be very good. That's the BioNutri Elderberry Complex. It's got the beta-glucans in there, plus your D, zinc, C, selenium, and it's got a little bit of lysine, which is antiviral. So you could take that as your daily one. And then I would definitely have um, a bottle of the Dr. Claire Mucotone um, available, ready to go. Some people in um, of our customers, Patricia, they actually take it once a day. It's a blend of herbs, including echinacea, to boost the immune system and to give respiratory infection support. So you can take it prophylactically to prevent it once a day. Or if you feel something coming on, you can take it three times a day. And if I feel I'm ever getting a sniffle, that's what I depend on. I start taking it three times a day. And touch wood, I very, very rarely get a, a, a bad cold and I haven't had to have an antibiotic for chest for years. And then the last thing I'd recommend is something called N-acetylcysteine, NAC, N-A-C. You get it in any health shop. And that can be great for anything chesty. It's a great, it's a lovely all-rounder, actually, Patricia, because it's also very good for the liver. But the interesting thing is we recommended that a lot post-COVID for people. And a lot of our customers came in saying that they didn't need to take antihistamines in the summer. So it had some obviously moderating effect on the immune system and its, its, its reactivity as well. So that could be another good one to add. Okay, Vaughan, would you have any advice, please, on what I could use to ease the pain of mouth ulcers on my tongue? Okay, yeah, difficult one now. I think really it's all about prevention. So the first thing I would suggest is that you look at your toothpaste. Get a natural toothpaste that has no sodium lauryl sulfate in there because a lot of the time mouth ulcers are as a result of an allergy to that. Most people find if they switch toothpaste, it clears up. The second thing I would recommend is taking a vitamin C and zinc tablet. Really important for wound healing um, and make sure that the the ulcers heal up properly. You could take those preventatively. And then the only thing really I could recommend is maybe using a colloidal silver spray on the ulcers itself because it's a good kind of a natural antibacterial. um, Really, I don't know, would it take the pain out of it immediately? You might need something like Bongella, which has a little bit of an anaesthetic in there. Uh, but definitely the colloidal silver can help them heal up quicker as well. But really, when it comes to mouth ulcers, it's about preventing them in the first place, if you can. OK, hi, Patricia. Could you ask Annalise, how much biotin should I be taking for hair loss from the roots? OK, so biotin would be generally in a high strength of 5,000 micrograms. And um, that would be what we'd recommend for people. But Patricia, I find the biotin is fantastic for hair quality. But if your hair is coming out at the roots and if it's not growing back, the best one that we've seen results with over the last 10 years is Norcrin. It has been like 
patented and formulated specifically to kind of con- re-kickstart the hairs that have gone dormant and are not growing anymore back into growth phase. So I think that would be a better one if your hair is falling out at the roots. But biotin for anybody else, 5,000 micrograms is generally the best dose to take. And if you're taking it for two months or three months um, and you don't notice a big difference in the new hair growth, it's not going to work for you. You need the other one. Okay. any advice for somebody who's suffering from toenail fungus? Yep. So I think the best thing that we have found is the citricidal, which is grapefruit seed extract. It's a very powerful natural antifungal. It comes in a kind of a little bottle of drops. So what I would generally recommend to people is that they would apply it daily around the toe and the foot area where there's the fungus. And I would then do a foot soak a couple of times a week so it gets right under the nail. Now, this takes time, so you're going to need to give it six months. The other lovely thing about that is that you can actually also use it in a wash to disinfect your socks and disinfect your cloth-type runners because if there's fungus in those, they will keep reinfecting you. So you have to deal with that as well. And the other caution, I'd say, is that the nail often goes black from treatment. But it'll be the new nail coming up that you'll expect to see healthy. It's not going to fix the old nail, so you'll have to wait for that to grow out. And for some people, that can take six months. It's very slow on toenails, yeah. Okay, just finally, staying on uh, feet, any advice, please, for somebody suffering from a verruca or a plantar wart on the sole of my foot? Not sure which it is, but it's extremely painful. I've tried using the freezing therapy by shoal over the counter, but no difference. I'm not diabetic. That's from Pat. Yeah, that's a difficult one, Patricia. The, the, the natural treatment for it is using something called Tuja, T-H-U-J-A. You can get it as a homeopathic remedy that you can take internally. And also Dr. Claire does a wart cream with it on there. So you could try that. It's like wart and veruca, they kind of are similar. So it'll respond to both. Um, it's difficult to get rid of warts, to be honest. Even naturally, I would say is a 50-50 chance of it working for uh, for you. Um, generally, the best thing to do is actually to go to the doctor. If it's not too deep, they might burn it off for you, you know, with nitrogen. That's what I'd recommend. And then you could follow it up with the Tuya and the Dr. Claire wart cream and hopefully get it right down into the roots that way. But very, very painful. It's very painful. Verrucas can be very painful for sure. Um, and I suppose the only thing for the pain there would be to um, just wear the corn plasters. Yeah, to try and protect it. Yeah. But I think having it burned off and I do believe there's a well down in Timaleek that if you drop stones into at night time, your warts will drop off. Okay. So maybe the same will work for a Veruca. <laughs> OK, Annelise, we leave it there. Thank you thanks, for that. Patricia. And thanks for joining us. That's Annelise Adrissel. She'll put up all of the information on her website, healthhubstore.com this afternoon. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning for Tuesday's edition of the programme at 10. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim, all made right here in the USA with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. 
That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23.